We're in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Now, in this chapter of Matthew, Jesus is using seeds to help us understand the kingdom of God. The first parable has to do with a sower going out to sow one kind of seed, but it fell in four kinds of soils. And I preached on that. I don't know if I preached that sermon here or not before. But the second parable continues the theme of seed sowing. A sower goes out to sow. And when the sower sows the seed, the wheat comes up. But the, the night came when the, he was sowing in the day, and uh, somebody sowed tares or weeds. And they two happened to look a lot alike, the wheat and the darnel. It's called a darnel. Uh, a darnel is a weed that looks like wheat. So when they both grow up together, you can't tell the difference. But as they mature, the weed actually looks like a weed, and if you eat the fruit of it, it's poisonous. And then there's the wheat. And we're really tempted when we're hoeing in our garden to kind of pull out the weeds, right? Hey, we're also tempted in the church to get rid of the weeds in the church, too. That's what this sermon is about. It's directed to the church. It's a tough sermon. I've never preached on it before, so I need extra prayer, <laughs> extra prayer in, um, in trying to interpret best I can understand this passage of Scripture. So you pray for the preacher as I pray for you. We thank you, Father, for the challenge of your word. We thank you, Father, for the good news of the gospel that that grows us and matures us into the kind of fruit you want us to be. But Lord, we're all acting like terrors sometimes. We all act like weeds sometimes. And we get in the way of the growth of the gospel and the kingdom of God. Teach us, Lord, how we can be better wheat and that the harvest that's produced will bring glory and honor to Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Help us all. Lord, help us all, help us all to grow up so that the fruit we bear will proclaim the gospel. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, let's read the passage of Scripture together. Jesus presented another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while he was asleep, his enemy came and sowed tares, or weeds, among the wheat. That's the darnel I mentioned. And then he went away. But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, that's the harvest, then the tares became evident also. And the servants of the landowner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? This is the age-old question that we are facing now with Ukraine. If God created the world and God put everything in place, why does evil exist? That question is as old as the Bible. You will ask it in your lifetime if you live long enough to deal with illness, loss, mishaps, challenges, or whatever. So this parable really comes home to us as we understand the sovereignty of God who rules the world and yet allows evil to exist. How then 
does your good earth have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. And the slaves said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, for while you're gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them also. Allow both to grow together until the harvest, and in the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up and gather up the wheat into my barn. Well, there are three parts of this parable I want us to look at today. One's called the sower of the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about this sower. He's the land owner. He owns the field, and he goes out and he sows the wheat seed. We discover a second part about this parable, that there is a supplanter. So there's a sower and a supplanter. There is a wicked person who has found his way at night into the landowner's field and has planted Weeds that are poisonous. And then there's a response in this parable of the servants. These are the slaves that ask the landowner, What's happened? Why are there tares among the wheat if this is your land and your creation and your world? Why are there weeds here? Why is there evil among the good? Tell you what, let's do. They said, let's get rid of the evil. Let's go weed our garden. He said, it's not your garden. It's not your garden. He said, it's my land, my garden. And I will be the one to bring about a harvest. And I will be the one to decide who is the good wheat and who are the false disciples. Who are the true disciples? Who, are, who is pretending to be a disciple? And that day is coming for all of us as well. Let's talk about the sower that sowed the good seed. The passage here says he is the son of man because Jesus interprets this very parable in latter verses of chapter 13. Jesus is God and he is the owner of his field. His creation belongs to him. In fact, the Bible says Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation and for him all things were created both in heaven and on earth. All things have been created by him and for him. This world belongs to Jesus. It belongs to Jesus. Because of Jesus Christ, God has planted good seeds in this world, and you are that good seed that he's talking about. Because God loved you and me so much that he came into this world and died on a cross that by faith and faith in Him alone, that He is the Son of God who was raised from the dead, God makes us good. We're not good because we choose to do what's right. We are made good by a good God. We are transformed from the evil that we have committed against God. In fact, the Bible says we were enemies against God until the Holy Spirit came into us, cleansed us, and made us right with God and made us good. That's the only reason we're called the good seed in this passage of Scripture. So the good seed is the product of the good news, the gospel. The Greek word is yangelion, and it's where we get the word evangelist. Evangelists go out and preach the good news. And the good news is this, that because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we will not stand before the judgment seat of God of the white throne judgment and be cast out into outer darkness and be burned up like the false wheat. 
That's the good news. Similar to, and I heard this illustration used yesterday uh, at the funeral home where I was making the visit, similar to a person who gets a traffic ticket and you, you go to court to pay your traffic ticket and the judge asks you, did you, uh, did you speed? And you said, well, yes, I did. And the judge says, I think so much of you. He reaches into his pocket. He pulls out his wallet and he says, I'm going to pay your ticket for you. Jesus is the Son of God who came to die on a cross and forgive us of our sins so that we stand before God on Judgment Day and all will stand before God on Judgment Day. God Himself has paid the price of our sin. And that's good news. And that's why God is trying to keep you a good person. That you might live out a life that illustrates the goodness of God in His generosity, in His humility, in His forgiveness, in His patience, in His service, and in His love from Almighty Heaven. In the Bible, uh, there are several scriptures that talk about this gospel of Jesus. In the book of Mark, it's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Romans, it's called the gospel of His Son. In Ephesians, it's called the gospel of peace. In Revelation, it's called the eternal gospel. But in the gospel of Matthew, three times he calls it the gospel of the kingdom of God. And we've been talking about the king and the kingdom, and you and I get to live in the kingdom because we are made children of God by the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. With so much chaos and confusion going on in our world, you may have wondered if we are living in end times. Is the harvest about to come now? I feel it. I really do. You may have seen predictions that the end times have come. And it won't be long until Christ does come back because this world appears to be self-destructive at this point. But while God's word encourages us to be ready for Jesus' return, it also reminds us that we don't know when he's going to return. In fact, the signs of Jesus' return repeat themselves generation after generation after generation. But I'm seeing the threat of world war now greater than I've ever seen it in my life. John wrote in his letters, Children, it's the last hour. And just as you've heard the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. Bottom line is, every generation lives in the last hour. And no matter how old you are, this is the last opportunity for you to receive salvation through Jesus Christ and give your life to Him. What are you waiting on? The harvest is going to come someday. So the good news is, we are made wheat, we are made productive, we are made the kind of people that brings nurture and goodness into this world by the transforming presence and power of the sower, the farmer, the landowner, who has given to us eternal life. But let us be warned, in this passage there is also a supplanter, not just a sower, but a supplanter who under the cover of darkness does his dirty deeds. And if you will notice, every work of Satan is done in the shadow. You ever notice that? It is the light that repels the evil of this world. It is the light of truth that repels Satan in this world. 
But Satan operates where mushrooms grow, where there's darkness. The weeds to which he refers here are called the darnels. They, are, they look like wheat when they are planted and as they begin to start to grow. But after a while, you can tell the difference. And Jesus said of all of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, he's not just speaking now to the 12 apostles. He's talking to that crowd of people that kept following him. Be careful that you know you are saved. Be careful that you do not confuse Salvation by grace through faith with salvation in any other means or any other way. How do you know the difference? Jesus said you will know them by their fruit. Folks, it is true. Satan and his forces infect us. The Apostle Paul spoke about it in Romans chapter 7, that he still had an old nature of sin that tried to raise its head often from time to time. And that power struggle inside of him was only conquered by him choosing Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to cleanse him every day of the power of sin. The Bible says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authority, powers of darkness, against spiritual forces in the evil and the heavenly realms. For, folks, this spiritual force that's at work out there never leaves you alone. There will never come a time when you've got it made as a Christian and as a follower of Jesus Christ that you don't need to learn more about yourself, that you don't need to be more aware of how Satan's trying to drag you back into being a weed. And he will often use Christians to do his bidding. I thought a long time about using this illustration, but I'm going to use it because I know what happened. First church I pastored when I was through a seminary had a fellow there that thought he owned the church and and the community around the church. Before I got there, the church bought a, a bus and they repainted it. And he thought he was the only guy that was capable of driving the bus. And uh, turned out they had a younger deacon about Mike's age over here that would drive the bus from time to time. Then there'd be other younger deacons that would drive the bus to pick up youth from time to time. And he was so upset about it that he decided to stop that noise. Nobody's going to drive that bus but him. Now, the only good thing about this story I'm telling you is this guy was not only a thorn in the flesh to me, he was a thorn in the flesh to every preacher that ever tried to pastor that church. But Satan got a hold of him one day and he drained a brake fluid out of that church bus. And he put in the brake fluid, instead of brake fluid, gear oil. And when the young deacon got the bus on that Sunday morning, he cranked it up and he left the church parking lot and he couldn't stop it. Unfortunately, he didn't have any children on the bus and he literally had to wreck it and ditch it. We had the police come and investigate. When they drained the lines, they found that it was being filled with gear oil. How do I know he did it? I saw him put it in there. I left that church after that experience. That was more controversy than I could deal with. Had I hung on one more year, I would not have to have dealt with this guy. He passed on to wherever he spends eternity. And he might spend eternity in heaven. I don't know. Because I'm not the judge. 
And it's easy to say that guy is of the devil. Folks, Satan will use Christians to do their bidding. He will use our anger. He will use our shortcomings. He will use your um, bitterness. He will use your past experience to do some of the devilish things in the name of Jesus. Uh, the most devilish event in the history of the church that other religions like to remind us of are the Crusades where we went to the, to the Holy Land and slaughtered the Islamic people. We all struggle with the powers of evil. Be careful that we do not let the, the devil who plants darnel in the church to rule, but instead let us be true wheat. We struggle with three powers in our life. The Bible says in Ephesians, We too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. I want to name those three powers that he mentions in that passage of Scripture. We struggle with the attractions of this world. We desire the world more than the kingdom of God, and that's when the devil starts using you. When you want the world more than you want the kingdom of God, Satan will, be, will start to use you. We have great attendance here today. I'm so glad to see it. But there are others who've chosen other activities who are able to be in the house of God who chose not to be. Satan will work in that experience. We struggle with the lure of the flesh, our own flesh. We struggle with pride, the lure of pride. When I say lure... The Bible says in the book of James that Satan operates like a fish bait. He, he lures you away. And the lure of the flesh is pride and power and promiscuity and pettiness. We struggle with the, with the attacks of Satan himself. He will like nothing more than to spoil your Christian integrity and your testimony and your witness there are times when I've acted like a faithful disciple. There are also times when I've behaved like a Darnell, a false disciple. And folks have come to learn that in repentance and confession of my sin, honestly to the Lord, I find the grace of God who loves me more than I hate myself, who loves me enough to say to me, your past is cleansed. And you have a future and a hope with me. It is the grace of God that keeps me rooted in the good soil to produce real wheat in the kingdom of God. Thirdly, let us deal with those servants that are asking the question, What happened here? You sowed wheat in the field, and here it is about harvest time, and uh, these weeds have grown up. How did that happen? And the question that haunts us today is, how then does it have tares? If God is God, why does he allow evil and suffering in this world? Folks, evil and suffering were planted as a result of the fall. We all live east of Eden. This is not the Garden of Eden. This is the, the post-fall east of Eden era. 
One day, creation will be purged of all evil. Just as the angels, he said, will send in the sickle and gather up the wheat and the tares. And the angels will separate the good from the bad. And that's a picture of God's judgment in heaven someday. After that, he will bring about, the Bible teaches, a new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. A recreation of the universe at the end of the age that we live in. Folks, when does that happen? It happens when Christ returns. He may come now. He may come tomorrow. I think he's closer now than ever before. So until Jesus returns, the Bible says, let the two grow up together, let them coexist in this age, and he will eventually separate the wicked, he will judge the wicked, he will destroy the wicked, while gathering together in his barns and giving rewards to those who enjoy his presence forever. So bottom line, let's make sure we're true wheat. Let's make sure that we are the true wheat. Now hear this clearly. It is not the job of the servants to judge who is and who is not actual wheat. So let us not try to judge others in the church, but let us be patient with one another. Because sometimes I act like a darnel, and sometimes, by God's grace, I act like wheat. Our behaviors, our thoughts, our decisions, our discernment and wisdom, our motivations should always reflect the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, God always acts with patience. Let them grow up together, he said. We get impatient with each other. We get impatient with the sandpaper person in our life, and we don't realize that I'm a sandpaper person to somebody. God always has patience and meekness, and so should we. God is the very opposite of the rushed, polarized, and narcissistic culture that we're living in today. During World War II, there was a great theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer came to America to tour. Germany started World War II, and they invited Bonhoeffer to stay in America and be safe. No, he said, I'm going back to my people. He went back to, um, to, to Germany and, well, he was in a plot there, participating in a plot to try to assassinate uh, Hitler. And it was, he was discovered. He was arrested. He was put into prison. And he wrote his letters from prison that have remained to us today. Two weeks before the end of World War II, Bonhoeffer was taken out and hanged. But he learned a lot about himself and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. In fact, he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he said these words, I am restless, but in you there is peace. In me there's bitterness. In you there's patience. You see, when I'm not at peace, I tend to want to bring God's judgment 
to separate the tares and wheat that go to my church. When I'm not at peace with myself and I'm bitter, I tend to want to be like James and John who wanted to call down the thunder of heaven. And Jesus said, no, no, that's not for you boys to do. That's reserved for my Father who is in heaven. So what, how does pure wheat behave? It's really simple. It's really simple. The Bible says in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 27, this is what real wheat do. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep yourself unstained from the world. In other words, if you could boil that down into two words, they are love and holiness. That's how you recognize true wheat in yourself. Don't go examining somebody else and say, do you have true wheat? Jesus said, now look, you, you can't take the speck out of your neighbor's eye unless you get that log out of your own eye first. Love means helping people in need. Love means serving. Love means sacrifice. Love means checking on people who need a wellness check. Love means being generous with other people. Love means compassion. Love means doing what's best for the other. Holiness is separation from the lures of the world. The three that I mentioned just a moment ago. The lure of the flesh the attraction of the world, uh, the attacks of Satan himself. Holiness seeks to be the very character and presence of Jesus wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you are at school, and wherever God plants you, that's where you blossom and that's where you grow. So to summarize the sermon, it boils down to being true wheat not false wheat, by loving people in need and maintaining your holiness by the grace of God. I fail at both. It's got to do. I fail at both. Well, do I just quit and go home? No. Do I blame somebody else? No. What do I do? I look to the cross. And I remember Jesus, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking upon himself the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. By the grace of God, Paul said, I am what I am. I am what I am. By the grace of God. Christian, let me encourage you to Stay humble under that cross of Jesus Christ every day and depend on His grace to get through that day. Let me encourage you to not try to fix the world, but just let the Holy Spirit fix you. 
Join me in that journey, will you? Father, we thank you for your love that's everlasting. We thank you, Father, that you invest in us your Holy Spirit to make us fruitful, true wheat that brings nourishment into this world, that brings life into this world. That's what you ask of us, to love others and let our character be holy by your grace, by your mercy. We give this invitation, Lord, and if there's someone here that wants to start that journey with you being saved, I pray they'll come during this, this song while we're singing right now during this invitation. I pray, Lord, if there's someone wishing to unite with our church from a sister church, they've already been saved and baptized, and want to unite with us, that they'll come. We pray, Lord, that some may just want to come and pray today. Lord, have your way in this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Ekron Baptist Church, 2775 Hayesville Road, Ekron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Ekron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.